If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Thursday, April 8th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Where did the high five come from? Who came up with it? And why has it persisted for so long? What if we could turn the entire Earth into a telescope? One astronomer has drawn up the plans. And how bad is blue light for you, really? Here are some of the cool things from the news today. National High Five Day is a week from today on April 15th, and since I know it's a big holiday that everyone celebrates, I thought you might want to be prepared with some interesting facts about high fives for when you and your loved ones get together for the traditional celebration of this holiday. Now, the origin of the high five is kind of disputed, slash not really exactly known. A forerunner to the high five was the low five, a part of black American culture since at least the 1920s. But when did it turn up high and spread further afoot? Was it from the women's volleyball circuit in the 1960s? American GIs in Tokyo during World War II? Apparently Magic Johnson even once implied that he invented it while at Michigan State, which blows my mind because my dad was in the same dorm building as Magic Johnson, so like... Was my dad present for the invention of the high five? Probably not, but I suppose I should ask him just in case. Even if Magic Johnson himself didn't create it, he was most likely there when it first started taking off. Of the top contenders for its origin, they all take place in the late 1970s in the world of sports. One story goes that it was created by Wiley Brown and Derek Smith from the University of Louisville Cardinals during the 1978-79 basketball season. Since their team was nicknamed the Doctors of Dunk, doing the standard low five didn't make sense. Their team was all about that vertical movement, so they started slapping their hands together when held high above their heads. Brown and Smith, who passed away in 1996, get a big chunk of the credit for creating the high five in the press, and one reason is because so much footage of the Cardinals high-fiving exists in highlight reels, a level of evidence not shared by many of the other origin stories. But another origin story a lot of people are familiar with is that of Lamont Sleets, a basketball player from Murray State University, also playing around 1979. The story goes that Lamont's dad, Lamont Sleets Sr., had served in the 1st Battalion 5th Infantry in the Vietnam War. The infantry was nicknamed The Five, and after the war, when Lamont Jr. was just a little kid, the guys would often stop by his house to visit with his dad. They'd created their own greeting, a arm straight up with five fingers spread, as they said, five. Lamont Jr., however, supplied the response of another spread hand hitting theirs. He'd jump up and shout, hi, five, like saying hello to the veterans. Then when he got older and went to Murray State, he introduced the high five to his teammates and spread it around to other teams as they played. There's just one problem with this story. It's a complete hoax. 
The comedians who created National High Five Day said they made up the whole thing and just used Lamont's name because they found it randomly on an old college basketball roster. What's kind of sad is that Lamont Sleets is a real man who apparently gets bothered by folks trying to hunt down the origin of the high five and whom, by all accounts from people who knew him in college, was a pretty private guy who always wanted to be left alone. So kind of a rotten situation to be put in. But in recent years, an older origin story has come back into the limelight, that of L.A. Dodgers outfielder Glenn Burke. Here's how the story goes, quoting ESPN. It was the last day of the regular season, and Dodgers left fielder Dusty Baker had just gone deep off the Astros' J.R. Richard. It was Baker's 30th home run, making the Dodgers the first team in history to have four sluggers, Baker, Ron C., Steve Garvey, and Reggie Smith, with at least 30 homers each. It was a wild, triumphant moment and a good omen as the Dodgers headed to the playoffs. Burke, waiting on deck, thrust his hand enthusiastically over his head to greet his friend at the plate. Baker, not knowing what to do, smacked it. His hand was up in the air and he was arching way back, says Baker, now 62 and managing the Reds. So I reached up and hit his hand. It seemed like the thing to do. Burke then stepped up and launched his first major league home run. And as he returned to the dugout, Baker high-fived him. From there, the story goes, the high-five went ricocheting around the world. According to Dodgers team historian Mark Langle, the game was not televised and no footage survives. End quote. Burke was apparently a super charismatic class clown type, so creating something that would inject joy and celebration into his teammates makes perfect sense. But there is one important detail about Burke. He was gay. He didn't come out publicly until after he retired in 1982, but it was a fairly open secret behind the scenes. Now, I once heard an old story that the high five was created because some gay baseball player was uncomfortable slapping the butts of his straight teammates, or vice versa. But I can't find any evidence that that was true. However, it is true that Burke's career was cut short in part due to his sexuality. Whether they were actually in a relationship is unknown, but Burke was close friends with the LA Dodgers manager's son, Tommy Lasorda Jr., Lasorda's dad, the manager, Tommy Lasorda Sr., completely denied that his son was gay until his last dying breath, and that put a palpable strain in Burke's relationship with his manager. He ended up being abruptly traded to the Oakland A's in 1978, a move that seemed inconceivable to fans since Burke was such a fantastic player and the A's were not a great team. And Burke had an even worse go of things at the A's, where he was continually harassed by teammates and the manager. The harassment was compounded by a knee injury, leading him to retire in 1980 at just 27 years old. He had a good several years living in San Francisco's Castro District and playing in an amateur league, but hit on hard times health-wise in the 90s and passed away in 1995. But not before leaving his mark on the world with the high five. The Dodgers have occasionally claimed the High Five as part of their history, even selling trademarked High Five t-shirts in the 80s, which doesn't sit incredibly well with me based on how he was treated when he was there. But the LGBTQ plus community also sometimes claims it as a symbol of gay pride, a revelation that I'm sure will shock many who view the High Five as a hallmark of bro culture. Writing in Burke's coming out piece in 1982, journalist and activist Michael J. Smith characterized the high five as a defiant symbol of gay pride and saying that Burke left behind, quote, a legacy of two men's hands touching high above their heads, end quote. But so was it Glenn Burke or was it Derek Smith and Wiley Brown who invented the high five? 
ESPN dug up a New York Times article from September 1st, 1980, about the growing phenomenon at the time of the High Five and attributes its creation to Derek Smith. The article doesn't mention Glenn Burke at all, or anyone else, except Tommy Lasorda Sr., the manager of the Dodgers who traded Burke, potentially due to his sexuality or rumored relationship with his son. In the 1980 New York Times article, Lasorda says he doesn't know who invented the High Five. It could have been anyone. Did he really not know? Or was he intentionally not naming Burke because he still held a grudge against him? Like so much else, we may never really know. And in fact, the truth is probably a combination of all of these and so much more. Something that was invented in many places in many ways, but with the same outcome. As Glenn Burke's friend Abdul Jalil Al-Hakim describes it, quote, The high five liberated everybody. It gave you permission to enjoy your high points. And continuing from ESPN, quote, And not just in sports, but at your kid's spelling bee or your office after a killer PowerPoint presentation. In this interpretation, Burke didn't just add a bit of flair to baseball. He uncorked a repressed longing for personal expression and connection in all of American society. End quote. Telescopes need a lot of light, which means they have to be really big. The more faint or far away of objects you want to see, the bigger the telescope needs to be. Phil Plate, writing in Sci-Fi Wire's Bad Astronomy, compares it to a bucket in rain. Quote, The wider the bucket, the more rain you collect. Photons fall from the sky, and the bigger your mirror, the more light that you collect. End quote. But making telescopes that are 30 to 40 meters across, like the upcoming extremely large telescope, costs massive amounts of money, like in the billions of dollars. But what if there were another way? What if we could use Earth as a lens to focus light, essentially turning the planet itself into a telescope? Now that's extremely large. And this is astronomer David Kipping's idea, which he calls the Terrascope. Quoting again from Sci-Fi Wire, A lens bends the path light takes. This is called refraction. So a photon that would otherwise miss your camera gets directed into it. Again, with a rain analogy, a raindrop that falls a meter away from you misses you. But if you could deflect, refract, the path of that drop a little bit while it's still up high, it'll be aimed right at you, and you get wet. In the case of the telescope, the lens is actually Earth's atmosphere. When light moves from one medium to another, like air to water or space to air, its path bends a little bit. The amount that it bends depends on the angle it enters and the stuff, what we usually call the medium, it's passing through. So a beam of light coming from a distant star, say, passes through Earth's air and its path bends. The most it bends is about a degree, twice the size of the sun or moon in the sky. Now imagine you're floating in space with the Earth between you and that star. You can't see the star because Earth is in the way, but if you are at just the right distance, the Earth's air will bend the light of the star right at you. The distance from Earth you need to be for this is about 360,000 kilometers, nearly all the way to the moon. Now think about this. From there, the Earth looks like a disk, and the air around it a thin ring. Any photon from that star hitting Earth's air at any point in that ring will get bent toward you. All those photons would miss you otherwise, but with Earth's air bending them, you see lots of photons. That's exactly how a lens works, end quote. And this also causes something called central flash, which is when an object with an atmosphere passes in front of a further away object, causing a sudden brightening. 
That's the light that telescopes need to see super faint stars. And according to Plate, the amplification from the central flash could allow even a one meter telescope to see faint objects even better than the Hubble telescope. Now, there are a lot of caveats to this idea. Refraction is affected by the colder and less dense air above Earth, and the location of the moon as it goes through its phases will require adjustments. Clouds in the atmosphere can block light, and you can only look at stuff behind the Earth. Kipping says a lot of this can be solved by moving the telescope further out, and you can hear more about the actual physics involved in all of this from Kipping himself at the video linked in the article in the show notes, where you can also see a rendering of what this telescope concept would look like. It's a really creative idea, and would be a massive undertaking if it could even work, but it would ultimately cost way less than some of the bigger and bigger telescopes being built on the ground, and let's be real, it would be super cool. Every glasses store these days is trying to sell people on blue light lenses. A lot of people who don't even need glasses for reading are starting to buy glasses that are just for blue light filtering. And devices often come with options to turn the blue light off. You know, now you can set it on a schedule so your phone filters out blue light for a couple of hours before bed. But is all of this doing anything? I mean, anecdotally, I experienced a noticeable difference when I added blue light filtering lenses to my glasses prescription, but maybe it was just my updated prescription or some kind of placebo effect. Quoting Lifehacker, There's a rumor that the blue light from smartphones or other screens can ruin your vision, perhaps even leading to blindness, but it's not backed up by evidence. The amount of light coming from a computer has never been demonstrated to cause any eye disease. The American Academy of Ophthalmology states in an article on their website recommending against blue light blocking glasses. There is research that finds blue light can damage cells in certain lab conditions, but those conditions are very different from what happens in the actual cells of our retina. We dug into this myth here, noting that the AAO has emphasized that, in their words, blue light from electronic screens is not making you blind. End quote. That said, eye strain is a real thing, both from digital devices and from things like long-distance driving, and it can be exacerbated by existing conditions like nearsightedness or an astigmatism, especially if you haven't been treated for those, which Lifehacker points out is similar to the warnings about sitting too close to the TV as a kid. Researchers made a link between sitting too close to the TV and nearsightedness, But was it just that kids who were already nearsighted sat close to the TV because it was the only way they could see the screen clearly? Though also, apparently the whole don't sit too close to the TV rumor has its origins in a recall of color TV sets in the 1960s, which actually emitted radiation. Yikes. But our devices these days are not emitting huge amounts of radiation. And continuing from Lifehacker, quote, Blue light is just one part of white light. You get plenty of blue light from the sun, for example. Blue light blocking filters also don't block very much blue light. They just reduce it a tiny bit. Experts have pointed out that you could get the same effect by holding your screen one inch farther from your face. End quote. So blue light filtering or blocking isn't a miracle cure, but if you find it helps you, that's great. You can also try things like the 20-20-20 rule. My cousin taught me this one ages ago when he started studying computer science. Every 20 minutes, look at something 20 feet away for 20 seconds. Depending on what type of person you are, you can incorporate this into the Pomodoro technique and take an actual mini break every 20 minutes to stand up, stretch, or go for a walk. 
You can also combat eye strain by making sure your prescription is updated if you need one, and don't forget to protect your eyes with sunglasses when you're outside. It's an all-the-time job taking care of your eyes, not just a screen time thing. But hey, if you think your blue light filtering glasses make you look cool and smart, I won't tell anyone. So a brand new Prince album is being released on July 30th called Welcome to America. It's a 12-track album that was recorded in 2010 and has never before been released, having been in Prince's vault, where it's believed there are hundreds or possibly thousands of never-before-released recorded tracks. The album feels perhaps even more relevant now than when Prince recorded it a decade ago. He said of the album at the time, quote, The world is fraught with misinformation. George Orwell's vision of the future is here. We need to remain steadfast in faith in the trying times ahead. End quote. It's both weird and exciting to get new work from an artist who's passed away, especially when it seems like the lyrical content, rather than being outdated, has aged like a fine wine. And apparently this won't be the last of new music from Prince. So mark your calendars for July 30th. But that is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.